Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mean O' Lion Media presents Pregnancy Pearls. Meet Dr. Nicole Plenty, a double board certified OBGYN and high risk pregnancy expert. She's brilliant, well researched, and feisty. Growing tired of seeing complications of pregnancy that could have been prevented, she wanted a way to empower women through knowledge because, as she says, all doctors aren't created equal. This quest to educate women birthed this podcast, Pregnancy Pearls, with Dr. Plenty. Thanks for listening to Pregnancy Pearls Podcast with me, Dr. Plenty. It's officially the middle of summer break and y'all, it is hot. I went outside yesterday and almost melted away and I had to go back inside really quickly. So when Harrison says it's hot, it's hot. And I tell you because Harrison loves to be outside. He loves water. He likes to be outside. He likes to stand outside and wave to the cars going by. If anybody's walking in the neighborhood, he wants to wave. He wants to play outside on the porch. He wants to play with slime. Nope, not this week. Harrison was not having it because it was hot. And I agree with him. And I was very happy he wanted to come back inside. So I just feel for all of my pregnant patients and for everyone who's pregnant during the summer month, you're already walking around with your little own internal heater. Then you add a blazing summer heat of July on top of that. Lord Jesus, help us. In Houston, this week, it hit 104 degrees. And that's not with the heat index. So with the heat index, it was 114 degrees. So that 104 degrees was just baseline heat. The folks are falling out from heat strokes. There was a... um uh, Houston's news. And, you know, of course I know about it because my family still lives in Houston. There was a, the mail carrier that was seen on home cameras approaching houses. And then all of a sudden he collapsed. He died of a heat stroke, poor man. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff. And a lot of those type of stories happening throughout the South. So please, if you take nothing away from this episode, although we're not about to talk about heat today, but takeaway, please stay inside while it's extremely hot. You're going to go outside, make sure you're shaded, make sure you have sunscreen, and by God, please stay hydrated. All right, now, what we're really going to talk about is what y'all want to talk about because that is what you've been emailing me about, and that's having the babies. And most of y'all, well, I'm not excluded, most of us are having babies later in age. Now, during season one, we talked about advanced maternal age in one of the episodes. But this one, we're going to be more specific. So we're going to talk about what pregnancy looks like in your 40s and 50s specifically. So advanced maternal age is defined as pregnancy that occurs with the anticipated due date at or beyond age 35. So yes, that means that if you are 34 and you're pregnant, but your due date is one day before your 35th birthday, you are advanced maternal age. You're of advanced maternal age. That is how strict that definition is. 
But the risk during the pregnancy, if you're 35, are somewhat different than when you're 40, 45, or 50. So we're going to talk about those differences. So the big, di- the biggest difference between having a baby in your 30s versus in your 40s and 50s is that your actual body is different. In your 40s is when your primary care doctor starts to scream for things like heart disease, high cholesterol, diabetes, and cancer. So unless you have a strong family history of one of those, you are being screened for that stuff in your 30s. I turned 40 this past December. I know y'all probably recall I'm a Christmas baby. But the week after turning 40, I had to schedule my pap smear and my pelvic exam, as I do annually, but I also had to schedule my very first mammogram. Then the week after that, my primary care provider said, let's talk about your weight and let's talk about your blood pressure and let's talk about your cholesterol. Y'all, in your 40s, it gets real because the things that we used to let slide as doctors, we don't let slide in your 40s or especially not your 50s. So if you've neglected your health, it's not the time to assume that because you feel good, that you are good. So before you start trying to get pregnant, make sure all of your health checks are up to date. There's absolutely nothing worse than someone being excited about being pregnant and then having to do a a disease workup during pregnancy only to find out that the pregnancy itself is making the condition worse. So here's a checklist of stuff you should have done once you turn 40. First, the dreaded mammogram. It has to be done. And let me tell y'all, it wasn't that bad. I had mine done at the end of January and it actually was very quick. It only took about 15 minutes and it wasn't that bad. I thought it was going to be super painful. Now they put your breast in awkward positions to get on the plate, but it wasn't painful. It wasn't like they squeezed you to death. So I thought it was okay. Of course, a pap smear. You're supposed to start having pap smears at age 21 anyway. That continues in your 40s and your 50s. Blood pressure assessments. Yes, you should have gotten your blood pressure checked anyway during your primary care visits, but you especially will get your blood pressure checked once you are in your 40s and 50s and they'll be taking it very serious. It's not, they're not gonna let my range blood pressure slack. It's real. Like if your blood pressure is high, you can come back in three to six months to get it rechecked. And that's after they tell you what lifestyle modifications you're gonna have. They'll check your lipids and your cholesterol. Usually you have to be fasting for a fasting cholesterol. And then they will also do a diabetes screen. So that's when you'll have either random checks or a fasting diabetic screen. And of course, a weight check. And they will talk to you about ways to reduce your blood pressure and ways to reduce your cholesterol is by losing weight. And so a lot of people get offended when we bring up weight. Like, how dare you? We're talking about body positivity and all these things. Nobody said you didn't look good because you were thick. But we have to realize that we need to build more muscle than fat. And we need to uh, know how that fat impacts your cholesterol, which thus impacts your blood pressure, which can be a risk factor for you having heart disease. Now, these are the bare necessities to get done before you get pregnant. So if you know you're 45, you've never had a mammogram, please get that done before you try to get pregnant. If you know you haven't seen a doctor in three, four years, don't get excited with the new man of your life and all of a sudden start having babies. And then all of a sudden you find out you had a condition. Get this stuff checked out in a timely fashion 
so that you're always ready to be pregnant. Now, once you turn 50, this is usually when we start to see patients with underlying vascular disease. Patients in their 50s can have some real issues if you are not up to date on your wellness. The biggest risk to your health is escalating undiagnosed heart disease. So if you're thinking about getting pregnant in your 50s, make sure your heart is in shape. Remember, your blood volume doubles in the first trimester of pregnancy before people even know that they're pregnant. So please, you got to know your heart is in shape before the pregnancy. Don't get your heart checked out afterwards. By then it's too late. You have to make some some hard decisions if you find out you have severe heart disease. So make sure you get your heart checked out because of the demands of blood volume uh, in the pregnancy. During your annual wellness exam, your primary care provider, in addition to all the stuff in your 40s, you'll also need your blood pressure checked plus or minus an EKG. An EKG is a little test that evaluates the heartbeat, the heart rhythm, and the strength of how hard the heart is pumping. Flu shot. So those of you that, you know, didn't have to get a flu shot for your jobs before, like the rest of us in healthcare, once you turn 50, you need a flu shot. You also need your tetanus vaccine and booster. So if you've not been pregnant and gotten one of those, this is when everybody gets one, okay? Men, women, tetanus vaccine and a, and a booster. A pneumonia vaccine. Yeah, it gets real. Your immune system is a little suppressed when you're 50. So you need a pneumonia vaccine. Now, some people get pneumonia vaccines before that, right? People that have severe allergies, people that have certain diseases, um, people that um, may have autoimmune diseases, they get pneumonia vaccines earlier. But if you haven't, if you're healthy otherwise, then 50, you'll start getting a, a, a pneumonia vaccine. You'll also get a shingles vaccine and you'll get an eye exam if you haven't already started getting your eye exam. They'll also start checking your joints, right? Joint assessment. Since the average age for a knee replacement is 45 to 65 joint placement. And they also do an osteoporosis screen. So they used to do the DEXA screen. Now they some people do FRAC scores, but either way, there'll be a standardized way to look at how how thick the bone is or see if the bones are thinning already because that's when this starts to happen in your 50s. And then of course, you'll be screened for colon cancer with a colonoscopy starting at age 50. Now, before y'all go and assume that you must be too old to have a baby, that is not what I'm saying, okay? I've had tons of patients in their 40s and in their 50s who safely get through pregnancy. I've also had some people who had some perimenopausal babies by accident and had some health issues. So if you're healthy and you want a baby, then you should definitely have one. Now, I, I will be remiss as a maternal fetal medicine doctor to not mention that in addition to your health, the older you get, the more likely you are to have a baby with a chromosome abnormality. Okay, The risk of having a baby at term at age 40 is about one in a hundred. That's a 1% chance of having a baby with Down syndrome. Once you get to age 43, that risk is about one in one, one in 50. So you can see your risk doubled between age 40 and age 43, okay? So if you are thinking about having a baby and you're in your late thirties or in your early forties, this would be the time to do so, okay? Because your risk keeps going up the longer you wait. And for some people, if you're having trouble getting pregnant, 
pregnant, you may want to go ahead and see a reproductive endocrinologist, which is a which is an infertility specialist, so they can give you all of your options about pregnancy. Now, we do have an episode with Dr. Jones in season two talking about some of those options. So go ahead and listen to that episode. But the older you get, the less eggs you have and the eggs that you are remaining with can be of lower quality. So you want to be as aggressive as you can if you really want to have a baby um, in your uh, early 40s. But don't slip up. You can slip up even if you say, I'm not having any more babies. Well, that's how we have the perimenopausal pregnancy. <laughs> People that are 50 think they're menopausal and they start to have unprotected sex either with their husbands or maybe they've gotten divorced and they're dating and now they're pregnant. Okay, so... Make sure you're taking precautions until you know you are really menopausal, okay? All right, medical intern, let's go to some cases. What's our first case? Our first case is a 46-year-old who is 28 weeks pregnant with dichorionic twins. Her pregnancy is the result of IVF because her husband has male factor infertility. She underwent IVF in Mexico. A few weeks ago, she was diagnosed with heart disease and told that her heart function has likely been mildly weak for a number of years. She is able to walk up a flight of stairs, but gets short of breath while doing so. She can catch her breath quickly once she sits down. Now that she has heart disease, she wants to know how this will impact her pregnancy and delivery. She was sent to you for consultation and recommendations. There's a couple of things with this case that I want to point out. One, there's nothing wrong with having baby at 46, right? I have several patients that are over 46 having babies. So that's not the thing that I want to point out. I do want to point out that there are different standards of healthcare depending on where you go. So she had an IVF pregnancy or IVF done in Mexico. And I say that because if you have IVF done here in the States, it's a little bit stricter when it comes to the workup to make sure you're safe. Um, if you have your IVF done in another country, well, they know like they're not responsible for anything that happens to that pregnancy. Um, I had a, the last person I saw that had IVF in Mexico literally had a list of things they wanted the OBGYN to order in terms of hormones when the patient got back. Like that's just not. I don't want to say OBGYNs in other countries are bad because I don't believe that to be the truth, but I think that you can find somebody to do whatever you want them to do. And, and that's regardless of in, in any country, even in the U.S., you can find somebody to do whatever you want them to do. But we have to be very, very careful when it comes to going to another country because you can't find it here or because the person that you can find that can do something here is doing something that's obviously against guideline because you've gotten several different opinions that I've told you otherwise. And I'm, I'm not saying that's the case, but I've seen this a lot with people that get IVF out of the country. Um, the fact that she ha has been mildly, had has had difficulty with her heart function or at least some mildly weak heart function for a number of years tells me that when she went to Mexico, nobody did any, any work up on her. Okay, so nobody did any baseline labs on this person to make sure that she was the safest she could be to have an IVF pregnancy or even without an IVF pregnancy, even if it was a natural pregnancy. If you're planning to be pregnant, you need to make sure that all of your wellness is up to date and you are healthy enough for your body, for your organs to withstand pregnancy. And obviously this was not done, but we're here now. 
And so that is what I, as a maternal fetal medicine specialist, we do. We say all of these things saying, hey, these are the things you need to do to be healthy during the pregnancy. But we also take care of you if, in fact, you are not healthy and you end up becoming pregnant. So we have to deal with what we have to deal with and get you safely through the pregnancy. So first, I will say our goal is to get this mom safely through the pregnancy. She's 28 weeks already and she is able to walk up a flight of stairs. So that's great. You can walk upstairs, but you get a shorter breath while doing so. So I don't really know how much of that is pregnancy or if it's really heart disease, because I remember being pregnant and walking upstairs because my bedroom was on the second floor and being very much so winded and being able to catch my breath when I sat down just like she was. So it really depends on what exactly her heart function is. So she was diagnosed with heart disease, but how? And usually when we diagnose heart disease, it's with what's called an echocardiogram, which is an ultrasound specifically of your heart to look at the flow in and out of the heart. Before you get an echocardiogram, usually you're going to get what's called an EKG to look at the heart rhythm. Now you may say, how does rhythm tell us if you have heart disease? Well, it's not necessarily, well, it can tell us if you have an arrhythmia, that means that you you have some degree of heart disease. But even if you have a normal rhythm, if you have an enlargement of your left side of the heart or the right side of the heart, we can see the intensity of those spikes. It, it looks different on an EKG. It tells us, hey, this side of the heart is taking longer to depolarize and repolarize. This side of the heart is, is causing a lot of contractility here. So that's what gives us a clue to go and do the echo. And so I assume that is what was done for this particular patient. She had an EKG, it was abnormal, and then she had an echo. So what would have prompted her to have an EKG? Just the fact that she's short of breath and she's 46. That would have been enough to prompt me to do an EKG. And honestly, on all my patients that are 45 and up, I'm going to get an EKG if they haven't had one in the last year because heart disease is a silent killer. There's a lot of people walking around with heart disease and they don't even know it. And so I want to make sure I know whether my patients have heart disease that end up either accidentally getting pregnant or even those that plan to get pregnant without preconception consultations. I want to make sure that they are healthy. And so for this patient, how will it impact her delivery? Well, it depends on the degree of heart disease. If you have a heart a heart disease that's very mild, it may not impact your pregnancy as much. So a normal ejection fraction is somewhere 55 to 65 is normal. That's what everybody that says they're healthy should be walking around with. So if you have an ejection fraction that's 50, that will likely not impact your pregnancy. You can go all the way to 39 weeks and then be induced, okay? Deliver vaginally just fine. But if you are becoming more and more symptomatic, that's going to prompt us to get another echo. And if that echo shows that your heart function is even worse. So going from an ejection fraction of say 50 to now 30, well, that, yeah, that impacts you a lot because that means that the volume of blood that your heart has to pump during labor may not be able to withstand that. And that means that you're at risk for getting fluid in your lungs. That's called pulmonary edema. And if you have fluid in your lungs, you can't breathe. So that can cause you to have some big time issues at delivery. Realistically, it's just about the degree of heart disease. So for this patient, if you already have heart disease, then I'm already talking about delivering you in your 37th week, unless I find out your heart disease has a normal ejection fraction and your symptoms don't worsen, and then you can deliver at 39 weeks. For this patient, she needs another echo 
in about four weeks or if her, whatever her symptoms worsen, if they ever worsen, she would need another um, echocardiogram to see if her heart function is worsening. Most people with heart disease can deliver vaginally. However, like I said, if your ejection fraction is severely compromised, then that may be a reason that you may need what's called an assisted second stage of labor. And that means instead of you doing the pushing, somebody's going to help you push by applying forceps to the baby's head and helping you pull by pulling the baby gently out or providing a vacuum, um, doing a vacuum extraction, which is like a little, it's like a little suction that's that's attached to the baby's head. And we uh, apply downward pressure to pull the baby out while you gently push. And that helps you not have to exert so much pressure at the time of delivery. Labor itself increases the amount of the intensity of contractions of the heart. Normal blood volume doubles in pregnancy. So you're, you're doing about four to six liters a minute in pregnancy. And then when you're in labor, you go up to seven to 11 liters. So you, you, it almost doubles when you're in labor. If your heart can't withstand that and we start seeing that your ejection fraction is down or you have signs of compromise, like you're getting short of breath, that tells us that you need either an assistant second stage with the vacuum extraction or the forceps that we just talked about, or you need to go to C-section. Now, some people would think, well, everybody with heart disease should be delivering via C-section, but that is not the truth. Okay, there's only certain people with certain types of heart disease that need to be delivered via C-section. Why? Because a C-section, although you don't have the pressure of pushing, is still uh, a lot of fluid shifting and more rapidly. Labor, you have fluid shifts, you know, gradually. With a C-section, your volume just, I mean, drops, okay? And therefore, you have rapid shifting of fluid, which could put you at risk for going into pulmonary edema or having fluid shift quickly into the lungs. And that could cause you to need to be intubated. For most people, we do not, in RP, do not go straight to C-section unless your heart function is severely, severely compromised. For the case pearl for this case, I would say heart disease and pregnancy usually requires an early term delivery. Like I said, 37 weeks is early term because it's as soon as you get to term and close monitoring while in labor. Okay. And obviously these patients should be followed by a cardiologist if possible. All right, medical intern, what's our second case? This one says, Dr. Plenty, is getting a mammogram safe to do during pregnancy? Realistically, it is very safe to get a mammogram during pregnancy. People think that they can't, but you can. Now, some people have hypersensitivity to their breasts, so it may be a little bit more painful during pregnancy um, and, and very much so uncomfortable depending on what gestational age you're getting your mammogram. Most people, when they get their mammograms, they're either laying on their back or they're standing. So if you're not good at standing at sort of awkward angles or maybe laying flat, it's going to cause you some discomfort depending on where you go and how the plates are angled, then, you know, it could be uncomfortable, but it's not unsafe. Now, some people choose to wait until after they deliver to have a mammogram. And I think that that's okay, depending on your history. If you are 45 and you never had a mammogram and you're in your first trimester, I'm going to want you to have a mammogram. Okay. If you are somebody that has a history of cancer and you missed a screening, I'm going to want you to have that screening done. So it, it depends on your history. But if you're like, hey, I'm 45, I've had mammograms every year 
since I'm 40 and they've all been clear, then you're somebody that if you're approaching the time of your mammogram and you're like, oh, I'm 20 weeks now, you can wait safely and get your mammogram after delivery. Now, the issue with waiting, though, which is why I say you have to have a clean bill of health otherwise, is that once you're postpartum, your milk ducts start to produce milk and you're supposed to be breastfeeding for now, the American Academy of Pediatrics says two years, okay? And so you can see that your mammogram could be very inconclusive if you are producing milk, okay? And and let's not talk about how much more tender it is while you're breastfeeding than when you are pregnant. So then you not only have the nine months of pregnancy that you haven't had a mammogram, but if you're breastfeeding, that's up to two years. So that's almost three years without any screening. And that's why I recommend if you're 40, make sure you get that mammogram right before you get pregnant, if you if it's time. And if it's not time, I still would recommend a mammogram in the first trimester so that you're not waiting almost three years with no screening, okay? If you're breastfeeding for a year, that's you know a year and a half instead of almost three years if you get your mammogram during the pregnancy versus if you wait until after you're done breastfeeding. Um, can you get a mammogram while you're breastfeeding? Yes. But like I say, those um, those results could come back inconclusive because of all of the inflammation or the swelling of your breasts because you're now producing milk. So just keep that in mind when we're talking about our health and wellness, that after 40, there are screenings that have to go on for reasons. And we don't want to do something like Hey, you're, you know, 45, you've never had a mammogram because you, you didn't think that you needed one or you didn't remember that you're supposed to get one or maybe you moved or maybe you didn't have health insurance and now you're pregnant. So you have insurance and then you want to breastfeed for two years. And so now you've waited two years and nine months and now you're 48, you know, so we don't want that to happen. And so I would say, yes, Mammogram is safe. And if you've not had one recently, you should go ahead and get it or really think about the timing of when you're going to get it. And if you're somebody that has did not have insurance and that's why you didn't get a mammogram before and now you qualify for one of the pregnancy Medicaid's, that Medicaid, even in generous states, can run out a year later. So if you're breastfeeding for two years, then obviously you may not have insurance to get your mammogram after that. But I would definitely encourage you to explore options if that is the scenario, because there are definitely affordable income-based um, insurances, insurance options that you can get under the Affordable Care Act to make sure that you are up to date and remain up to date on your screening. But the short answer is yes, a mammogram is safe to do during pregnancy. There is no radiation associated with the mammogram. It's like getting an MRI. There's no radiation. It's the CT scans and the x-rays that we worry about in pregnancy. All right, medical intern, do we have any, any more cases or email questions? This one says, hi, and thanks in advance for answering my question. I'm 42 years old and recently married for the first time. Neither me nor my husband have kids. I'm generally healthy. I work out four days a week. I'm at a healthy weight. My BMI is 24. However, I have high blood pressure and have been on HCTZ for four years now. After losing weight two years ago, my blood pressure is much better and controlled and actually normal with the help of medicine. I was wondering if my requirement for blood pressure medicine makes getting pregnant unsafe. 
So with this case, I like the fact that this patient seems really diligent about their health. She has a BMI of 24. She lost weight to get to that BMI. She's taking care of herself. She works out four days a week. All of these things are telling me that her heart is under good function. And all of these are telling me that she can walk without being short of breath because she's working out four days a week. And generally she's overall health healthy. She's 42. So like I say, the later you wait, the higher the risk of having a baby with a chromosomal abnormality. But for her, she's generally healthy. Yes, she does take hydrochlorothiazide, which is what HCTZ stands for, hydrochlorothiazide. But that is a drug that's very safe in pregnancy. Okay, so it's not a first line drug because it's somewhat acts as a diuretic, um, but it's not one that is a contraindication, meaning it's not one you shouldn't take during pregnancy. And for people that are on it and well controlled on it, I usually continue it during the pregnancy. So you being on hydrochlorothiazide or ACTZ or any blood pressure medicine um, that's safe in pregnancy is not a reason I would tell you not to be pregnant. I definitely don't want you coming off of a medicine that's known to be safe in pregnancy and then your blood pressure skyrocket. And I definitely don't see anything in your question that makes me tell you to delay pregnancy. Um, congratulations on being married for the first time. I mean, man, you and your husband, neither one of you have children. This is going to be a great first time experience for you. I would make sure you start keeping at, um, a period calendar app um, so that you can know when you're ovulating and then go ahead and start trying on the hydrochlorothiazide. Go ahead and start trying. Um, do make sure that some of the over-the-counter stuff that you may not be aware of, you stop. Things that have retinoic acid in them or um, retin-A, that can be harmful to pregnancies. And we use that in some of our skincare routines. So you should not take any pills that have retinoic acid. Even if you have acne, we should not use it. You should also avoid any things that contain diuretics. Okay. So we don't want you doing a whole bunch of urination during pregnancy. Make sure you're not lifting a lot. You work out. So we don't want you to lift more than 10 to 15 pounds during the pregnancy. Over-the-counter uh, steroid creams. We want to avoid that if you can during pregnancy. Although topical creams and ointments actually are not as harmful. Anything that has the potential to be harm harmful, I'm going to tell you to cut that out before you even start trying to be pregnant. But all in all, it sounds like you're healthy. You can continue the hydrochlorothiazide and you and your new beau should go and be fruitful and enjoy. So yes, you should not delay it all. Once you are trying for six months straight consistently, meaning you know when your period's coming, it's coming like clockwork every month, you know when you're ovulating and you're having intercourse during that week that you would ovulate every other day at least. And once you're doing that for six months, if you have not gotten pregnant by that time, I would want you to see an infertility specialist because again, we want to be as aggressive as we can be to make sure that we are getting pregnant while you still have good egg quality. All right, medical intern. I think that's all of our cases and questions today. And she's shaking her head. Yes. So thanks so much for listening to Pregnancy Pearls podcast. I hope you've learned a little bit more about having babies in your 40s and 50s. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to share with your friends, rate and comment. If you or someone you know has had a pregnancy complication or unique pregnancy situation, 
Let me know about it. Email me at pregnancypros at gmail.com to hear your topic or case discussed on one of our podcast episodes. Also, remember to follow me on Instagram at pregnancy underscore pearls and Facebook at pregnancy pearls. Feel free to check out the YouTube channel for more quick talks about pregnancy complications. The website, which is drnicoleplenty.com for free pregnancy downloadables and advice. And for goodness sake, y'all, catch up on all three seasons of the podcast. And I will see you guys in season four. In closing, remember to advocate for yourself. You are your biggest advocate and no one knows what's going on with your body except for you. Thanks for listening. Bye. Pregnancy Pearls is hosted by Dr. Nicole Lee Plenty. Produced by Nicole Plenty and Janine Brunson Johnson. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find Pregnancy Pearls on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe and rate. The content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice for diagnosis or treatment of individual medical conditions. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with specific questions regarding a medical condition. Pregnancy Pearls is a mean old lion media production. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.